0: Well, thank you very much indeed for your invitation to take part in your service here this morning, and uh, for your very warm welcome. It's uh, good to be here with you today. And I'd like to turn now for our scripture reading to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to read just two verses, 1 Peter chapter 2. verses 11 and 12. And I suppose my title for this morning's sermon is A Christian Strategy for Living in a Hostile World. A Christian Strategy for Living in a Hostile World. So First Peter chapter 2 and uh, verse 11. The Apostle Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Well, I mentioned earlier that I was brought up in Great Victoria Street Baptist Church, and as a child, um, uh, Pastor H. H. Orr was uh, the pastor there, and. Uh, during the first lockdown, when we were kind of confined to our own homes, I uh, decided I would take the opportunity to try and do a little bit of research into his life and uh, try and, and uh, come up with uh, a little survey of it. And I wrote this little booklet here on the life and ministry of Pastor H.H. Orr. Uh, now doing that, one thing which really struck me was just how much uh, things have changed since his day. Um, I suppose, I mean, he, uh, his ministry was really in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, he finished his pastoral ministry in Rathcool Baptist here um, in, I think it was 1969. Um, but it just struck me how, in the 50 or so years since then, things have changed both in society and in church life. Uh, he was a he, he was a great gospel preacher and a great evangelist, and he would often conduct missions which would go on for two or three weeks. And usually, uh, as a result of those missions, he would see maybe as many as a hundred people or so profess faith in Christ. Um, There's an article from the Belfast Telegraph uh, which uh, has a picture of him preaching in the Botanic Gardens. This was just after the war, and uh, there was a crowd of about 3,000 people there. Now, we don't see that happening today. You know, things have changed. Uh, Things have changed tremendously in our uh, society. Uh, those days have gone. You know, we live in a, an increasingly secular society. Um, there's a, a been a, a great decline in church attendance. The Bible is often rejected as an authority. Christian beliefs and morals are dismissed as being out of date. That's the world that we live in now. Um, I also read this little book here. Uh, I was struck by the title being The Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World That Says You Shouldn't. Uh, It's written by a man called Stephen McAlpine, who I think is originally from Northern Ireland, but now ministers in Australia. And in this book, he, he writes, only a few generations ago, Christianity was the good guy, the solution to what was bad rather than being on the wrong side of the law, we were the law. Christian morality was assumed and passed mainly unchallenged. But then things changed. Over the course of the 20th century, we became just one of the guys, one option among many, a voice to be considered, but not to be followed unquestioningly. But the problem is that's not where we are now. The tide has shifted further. Increasingly, Christianity is no longer an option, but a problem. To affirm that God is the creator of the world, that marriage is a relationship between a man and a woman, that uh, uh, taking a, an, on, an innocent, unborn life is morally wrong, and that Jesus is the only way to God, these things are dismissed as out of date, narrow-minded, fundamentalist ideas. They are considered dangerous and divisive, and those who believe them now are often dismissed as being the bad guys. That's the situation which I think Christians now find themselves in, in our contemporary society. How then or do we live in this situation? How are we to respond? That's the challenge, eh? what's, what's our strategy for living as Christians in a hostile world today? And that's where I think this little letter of First Peter really helps us. Because Peter the Apostle, is probably near the end of his life now, was writing to Christians who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. They were living in a hostile pagan environment with many different gods and lifestyles which were marked out by greed and violence and self-indulgence and sexual permissiveness, many of the things which are common in our society today. And Peter was writing to encourage these Christians, these believers living in this hostile world. He was writing to encourage them to stand firm in their faith. And basically, he does that in two ways. First of all, he reminds them of the privileges which they enjoy as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, privileges which we enjoy we enjoy today as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first couple of chapters up to this point in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, look, we have had the gospel preached to us. He says, we have been born again. He says, we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. We have become members of a loving family we have a great future inheritance. You see, these are the privileges which these Christians enjoyed. These are the same privileges which we enjoy today. So at times, if we get discouraged and depressed by the state of the world around us, we need to remind ourselves of the wonderful privileges which we do enjoy. We have this new life in Christ. We have these blessings in Christ. We have these great privileges. We have been born again. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. We do belong to a loving family. We do have a future great inheritance. So we can encourage ourselves. If you ever feel depressed or discouraged by the state of the world, just thank God for the privilege of belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in him. You do have a great hope. But the other approach which he takes is to remind them, Yes, they have these privileges, but he also tries to remind them of the responsibilities uh, which they which they have, and uh, that's really what he does in the second half of the letter. It's uh, really from this point on, from first two, f- chapter two, verse eleven onwards, he res- he reminds them of the responsibilities of how they're to live. First of all, as citizens uh, in society then as in their place of employment, he addresses slaves. or uh, uh, He reminds them how to live in the home, husbands and wives. He he reminds them of how to live as members of the church. He reminds them of these responsibilities, of how they are to live in this hostile environment. And Uh, Here in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, he kind of summarizes what he uh, wants to say to them about the responsibility, uh, about how to live as Christians in a hostile world. So he writes, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And basically, we could say that Peter's strategy for those believers then, and for us today, really consists of two things. He tells them first, abstain from evil desires— And then he tells them, live good lives. That basically sums up Peter's strategy for Christians on how to live in a hostile world. And that's really what I want to leave with you today. These two things, this is what we can do. You may feel a bit overwhelmed sometimes as you look at society. You may wonder, how on earth can things change? You may wonder, can can we have any influence at all? You sometimes maybe feel so utterly powerless in the face of this kind of great rising tide of, of secularism and unbelief and, uh, and departure from Christian standards. And you may think, well, what on earth can I? I do. Well, here Peter would tell us, here's two things at least which you can do. Abstain from evil desires and then live good lives. And who knows what difference that might make uh, to the world today. So let's look, first of all, at what, he, as how he puts it. This is the negative part. He says, first, we are to abstain from sinful desires. He says, my dear friends, you know, we can tell Peter really cares. You know, Jesus commissioned Peter to be uh, a loving shepherd of the sheep. I remember, Jesus' last words to Peter were, you know, feed my lambs. And here's Peter, not just the apostle, but the pastor writing to these people with great concern for them. He says, my dear friends, I urge you, I urge you, you know, this is really matters. This is important. He's, he's pleading with them, ex- exhorting them. This is a, a message which he considers to be of absolute first importance. This is something which he wants them to take seriously, to really take on board. My dear friends, I love you, I care about you, and so I urge you, I plead with you as foreigners and exiles— um, those are two words. They're, they're translated variously, and in, in, you know different translations. Um, but they're, they're, you know, some of them, some uh, translations have the words aliens. Uh, some have strangers. Some have sojourners. Um, but basically, the two words have basically the same meaning. It's the idea of somebody who's living in a a place which isn't really their home. You know, many people today find themselves in that situation. We're familiar with um, you know, people who've had to leave their, their country and, and go and live as refugees somewhere else. Um, I don't know if you've, we recently in Gilna have had a, 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 a grandmother, a mother, and a grandchild come into the church from Ukraine. Uh, We're used to this idea sometimes people have to move from their their homeland to some other place. Sometimes people do it voluntarily. They go for work, uh, or they go to study, or they go as missionaries. And uh, yet they're living somewhere else which isn't really their homeland, And no matter how much they may like it, and no matter how much uh, there are good things there to enjoy, it's still not really their home. It's not really where they belong. And and this is what Peter is saying to these Christians living in the Roman Empire. Yes, you're citizens of, of, of these different places in the Roman Empire, but that's, you've got to remember, that's not really where you ultimately belong. The Apostle Paul has has the same idea when he writes in Philippians to the people there and tells them, your citizenship is in heaven. That's really where you belong. You belong in a a different kingdom. You belong somewhere else. Uh, And so he's saying to them, you've got to think about living by the values of that kingdom, not by the values of the world so he's saying to them, look, abstain. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles who don't really belong, this isn't really your homeland here at present where you are. You really belong in a a different kingdom. So abstain then from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Well, what are these sinful desires that he wants them to abstain from? Well, if you look in chapter 2, verse 1, just at the beginning of the chapter, he, he says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. You know, here are how some of these sinful desires manifest themselves Here's how some of these uh, sinful impulses, thoughts, and actions show themselves in malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. They're what we call, so, might call social sins. We could group them together under that heading. These are like social sins. These are sins, really, which we uh, inflict on other people. Um, These are sins which are, yes, they arise easily and naturally within us. They're displeasing to God. They're hurtful to others and destructive of our own spiritual well-being. You know, I I was very fortunate. I said, you know, I I started off my working life as a school teacher down the road here in Belfast High School. Um, One of the things, I mean, I enjoyed about teaching. Well, I mean, the pupils obviously were wonderful people, but uh, I I enjoyed uh, the staff room, the other teachers there. I, I. We all got along very well together and encouraged one another and supported one another, and it was a very happy, amiable uh, place to work. But that's often not the case. You know, sometimes people find work, their working environment, to really be quite difficult. Uh, You know, because of things like this, you know, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, slander you know those things can you know, make the workplace a toxic kind of environment to be in some people find it very difficult and where any group of people you know, get together these things can rear their ugly heads you know even sometimes in church life they can rear their heads and they can uh, bring division and disunity so Peter says, first of all, abstain from such sinful desires which wage against your soul. And then in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. I mean, we we could call these sensual sins, maybe sins of the flesh, uh, sins of self-indulgence, of sexual permissiveness, um, the sort of things which we see portrayed in many television programs and films and maybe in the pages of the newspaper. And you, know, you, you read about some of the things that happen uh, and, and some of the way you know, these things manifest themselves in other people's lives. Uh, and Peter says, no, don't have anything to do with these things. Uh, it's a very clear no, no no, don't do these. Abstain from such sinful desires. Have nothing to do with these kind of social sins. Have nothing to do with these kind of sensual sins. Just don't do them. Uh, One of the things um, I like to do in my uh, leisure moments is to follow the rugby. I'm a and just in case you don't know, Ulster had a great win last Friday night, but I like to watch the rugby. Um, Jason Robinson was a great rugby player. He played rugby for England. He was part of the England uh, World Cup winning squad back in 2003. He wrote in his biography, "'Before I became a Christian, I couldn't say no. So he got involved in all kinds of excessive and damaging behaviour. But after he became a Christian, he wrote, I discovered I could say no. Becoming a Christian brought a new discipline and joy into his life. We can say no to these things. Not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. This is Pentecost Sunday. Jesus has not left us without a helper. He promised His Spirit, His Spirit that would indwell every believer, His Spirit which would give power to say no to these things and to serve Him. We can say no. So that's a, His first strategy. Uh, His first strategy is, for Christians living in a hostile world, abstain from sinful desires. And then his second, the second part of his strategy uh, is um, uh, to do good. He says in verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that... uh, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So he's now putting it positively. There's a negative aspect, and now there's a positive aspect. Live good lives. And he goes on to say we are to live good lives as as citizens. In in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. It's God's will that by doing good, or in uh, verse 20, when he's writing to slaves, he says, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, doing good, Uh, or in um, chapter 3, verse 17, he says, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Or of chapter 4, verse 19, he sums it all up by saying, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I mean, it runs all the way through the letter in every context whether as citizens in society, whether as workers in their place of employment, whether as husbands and wives in the home, uh, whether as members of the church, do good. Do all the good you can. Um, continue to do good. You know, it's not just Peter who says that, the Apostle Paul you know, in in Ephesians 2, um, 11 says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand. Now, Paul makes it clear there that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. But he says those who are saved by faith, who are saved uh, by God's grace are to do good that's the purpose for which God has saved them, that they might do good. So, this emphasis is found throughout the New Testament. We are to abstain from evil desires, and we're to live good lives. A Christian, in a sense, is to be a do-gooder. Now, sometimes we hear that phrase used in a, a kind of pejorative way, almost as an insult uh, to say that, you know, someone who's trying to do good all the time, they're a bit of a busybody, they're interfering, they're patronizing, they, they're arrogant, they think better of themselves. Well, we shouldn't be put off by that. We're told to do good, to do all the good we can. And the, the, the church has always been characterized by the good which its members have done in society. If we go right back to the beginning, as you read through the Acts of the Apostles, you see how they cared for the poor, the widows, and the orphans, uh, how they cared for the sick, how they cared for the, those who were oppressed and persecuted. Christians have a great reputation down through his church history for doing good. You can think of of many examples today, like William Wilberforce and the abolition of the slave trade, uh, Thomas Bernardo and his care for for orphans, Lord Shaftesbury and the influence which he had in working conditions, Florence Nightingale and her her, her reforms in in nursing. Uh, Christians have an outstanding record in doing good. And they're still doing that today. Wherever there's any problem in the world, wherever there's suffering, wherever there's need, you will always find Christians at work there trying to bring some help. Uh, There are those many organizations which exist today which if we feel we're a bit powerless ourselves to do anything, we can support them. You can support the like of, of, of tear fund you know, as they try to relieve poverty and uh, and bring practical help to those in need. You could support something nearer home like Christians Against Poverty, trying to help people in a very practical way as they struggle with just being able to meet make ends meet, or, or something like International Justice Mission, which are standing up for the rights of those who are oppressed and enslaved. We are to live good lives. We are to do all the good that we can. We are to be do-gooders. Even if we're criticized, even if we're opposed, even if we're accused of doing wrong— I mean, the first Christians were accused of all kinds of things. They were accused of practicing incest because they, they taught that we should love our brothers and sisters. They were accused of cannibalism because uh, they, were, uh, they said they were eating the body and blood of Jesus. They, and, and Peter's aware of this, that these people are, are going, to, um, they're going to face accusations of wrongdoing, He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong. So today, Christians may be accused of being uh, homophobic or misogynistic or or, uh, patriarchal or or, uh, out of date or whatever. But even if you're accused of doing wrong, you're to continue to do good Even if you're accused of doing wrong and you're misunderstood and unfairly criticized for it, we're to continue to do good. And Peter says the reason is that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Who knows what influence you know, a small act of kindness may have. Who knows what impact that may have on someone else's thinking. Who knows whether it'll make them stop and think about, well, these Christians, they are good people. Why is that? Maybe you feel that you're not, uh, you can't really be an evangelist. You're not very good, maybe, at talking about your faith or sometimes you feel a bit, you lack the courage or the boldness or you don't have the words or you don't have the skills or you don't have the opportunities. But we can all do some good and who knows what influence that will have, what impact that will make on other people's lives. So you see, Stephen McAlpine in this little book here at the end, he says, we must cultivate exemplary, grace-filled, and generous lives that challenge any allegations that our beliefs lead us to be mean-spirit, hostile, and dangerous. We must live such good lives so that they will challenge any allegations that our beliefs lead us to be mean-spirit, hostile, and dangerous—that we're not the bad guys after all. So, this is Peter's strategy, you see, for living as Christians in a hostile world. Abstain from sinful desires and live good lives. It's something we're all to do. It's quite simple and straightforward, really. It's not complicated. It's not gimmicky. But it's a necessary foundation which must underpin all our evangelistic ever- efforts. Don't be discouraged today if you feel There's an overwhelming tide of secularism sweeping through the land. Don't be discouraged. Remember the privileges you have as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And take up these responsibilities that you have to do all the good you can. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is good news, that it offers a message of hope and forgiveness, of love and peace and joy and purpose to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you and of belonging to your family. And we pray that you might help us just to heed these simple, straightforward commands to say no to sinful desires and to say yes to all that is good. So help us to live such good lives that others will be drawn to Jesus Christ and turn to him as their Savior. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen.